You're listening to Hockey to Heroin, the road to recovery on the Hockey Podcast Network. New episodes Wednesdays and Saturdays. Follow Hockey to Heroin on Twitter. That's at Hockey, the number two, Heroin, for updates. And subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Brady Neville, like any other Canadian kid, his dream was to play in the National Hockey League. Success came easily to Leopold as he began to turn heads in the junior leagues. Only pass from Long. He's got Leopold with him. Long walks in. Sanders. Leopold's right hand shot rotates and then sends it along. Back to Leopold. And a boy, Brady. And here we go, right off the bat, a fight ensues. And it's Leopold and Kerr, and they're both getting in shots. Now Leopold throwing right after right and just connecting like crazy. Once I met heroin, I mean, it was just, that became my new passion. What's the reason that young people who are athletes get addicted to heroin? They injure themselves, and they're more likely to be prescribed an opioid. And once addicted, many are going to switch over to heroin because it's much more cost-effective. And the effects that they produce in the brain are indistinguishable. When we talk about painkillers, we're essentially talking about heroin pills. Welcome back to another edition of Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery. This is episode 51. Of course, this is Brady Liebold coming at you guys live. If you're watching on the Hockey to Heroin Road to Recovery Facebook page, thank you. Uh, of course, I'm in Utterson, Ontario, wedged right in, right in the heart of Muskoka between Bracebridge and Huntsville. I am uh, extremely, extremely lucky uh, to be living uh, where I am, and of course, I am lucky that you guys are listening. Uh, you know, guys, we are live on Facebook. However, if you're not watching live on Facebook, I hope you're listening on the Hockey Podcast Network. You can check them anywhere out on social media at HockeyPodNet. And of course, their website, www.thehockeypodcastnetwork.com. Guys, they have a podcast for every single NHL team, uh, plus bonus content like my podcast and Terry Ryan's podcast, Tales with TR, uh, and others. Uh, and as well, Brad Lieb, former uh, professional hockey player, he's going to be launching his podcast very soon uh, on the network as well. So look for that, guys. Um, thank you so much. I've been... Uh, so lucky um really i know i say it all the time i say this all the time uh, but you know I, I continue it continues to grow uh there's two feeds on the hockey podcast network uh, as well as my personal feed and you know i i look at both feeds and, and the numbers are incredible uh thank you so much uh as it stands right now uh, on the hockey podcast network uh my episodes are four out of the top five on the network i'm not sure exactly which ones but that is a direct result from you guys so thank you so much uh to everybody um you know i i just never thought uh that this uh was possible at all um uh, seriously like even when i started this uh even 
a few episodes in. I never could have imagined uh, what has happened. Um, and, and, you know, the podcast is one aspect, uh, but one uh, very small aspect. Um, there's just been so many other things that have uh, been such a great part of my life and contributed to my recovery uh, and as well as helped connect me back with the hockey community. And one of those things, guys, uh, was a story uh, that a new friend of mine, Matt Thompson, shared with me. Um, He shared the story of Matthew Lazinski with me. And if you've listened to the podcast, which I'm hoping you have, uh, you hear this story tirelessly and you will continue uh, to hear this story tirelessly. Uh, Beside me here, is the plaque i get emotional every time i look at it i you guys can think i'm full of shit or whatever uh but you guys don't know um how i feel on a day-to-day basis and how lucky uh, i truly know that i am uh that it doesn't say uh, in memory of brady Liebold on this plaque um and uh you know i've been able to connect with not only matt thompson who shared the story with me but uh lazinski's family uh and uh you know I've talked about building the studio and Matt's come down and uh, it's taken a lot longer than we had both hoped because uh, he lives uh, kind of far away and uh, we want, wanted to do it together. Uh, but guess what? Uh, Taylor's dad uh, was out there with me yesterday. So thank you to Steve uh, for cutting all the wood for the trusses. Um, and uh, Taylor's brother Jay is actually out there right now building them. Uh, so thank you to them. Uh, for making it happen. Uh, Matthew Lazinski, of course, guys, he played for the OHL Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds uh, for a couple of seasons before running into some off-ice troubles. Uh, Much like myself, uh, we were the same age, born in 1987. And, um, you know, I never got to meet him. Uh, I was out west and he was out here in Ontario where I am now, uh, or close by. And, um, you know, he struggled with mental health and addiction and his story was was so much like me. He went to jail and uh, I think there just wasn't a lot of support for him. Um, I know there it, there wasn't a, a ton of support for me uh, and I didn't make it easy for people to support me either. Uh, but you know, I was just so disconnected from my family, my friends and the hockey community. Uh, and that's something that uh, I want to bridge the gap. And I know Matt Thompson does and so many others that are involved like Darren McCarty, um, we want to bridge that gap. Um, you know, the Puck Support Foundation, guys, check it out, PuckSupport.com, uh, to get involved. Uh, mental health and addiction is a real thing uh, in the hockey community. If you're a hockey player or a hockey parent, maybe things are good right now, um, but that can all change very quick. And if it does, uh, we want to be there. We want to be able to be there. So, guys, we have the Gratitude Crusade going on right now. I just ask, can you afford $5? Can you donate $5? This does not go to me. This doesn't help me financially. There's other ways if you want to support me directly through Patreon and other things I'll talk about later. This doesn't help me. Uh, This helps the hockey community. uh, And one day, uh, it could be helping you or someone you know. um, And uh, we can save lives. And we want everybody to get involved. Guys, check us out uh, on social media. Uh, at Puck Support and please the website PuckSupport.com and for the Gratitude Crusade guys um, I'm going to post a link in the description below Uh, I just I ask with a very heavy heart uh, you know I get phone calls every single day messages every single day of people reaching out people asking you know for help or, or 
you know, asking how I did it, you know, parents of players like that played in the Western Hockey League, like this is true. Um, and not just one, like several. Uh, and, you know, I try to help them, but I don't have the financial capabilities or the resources. And I'm, I'm working tirelessly with a group of, of men and women, mostly men right now, but we're encouraging women to get involved um, to bring this thing to life because it needs to happen. Um, so please, guys, um, I ask uh, with a very, very, very heavy heart, um, this needs to happen. Uh, you know, we see the headlines of the NHL players, but there's been even more uh, that we haven't heard about. Suicide and addiction, um, they're real things, um, overdose. You know, I'm very lucky to be alive uh, and uh, I want to be able to help as many people as I can and I feel that's in the hockey community through the Bucksport Foundation. So please guys, um, if there's one thing you can do uh, to help me, I will go without for the rest of my life if you guys want to contribute to this great cause um, and help bring it to life, like I said. So um, that's it on that. I just quickly want to say once again, thank you to Diana uh, and Stuart McDonald uh, who are letting me use uh, their beautiful trailer uh, up here on the Devitt compound in Muskoka uh, because the studio is under construction. Um, so, you know, I just quickly wanted to, to touch on that, guys. Um, you know, please, uh, again, I'm going to post the link. Um, you know, we ask that you uh, get involved. And listen, everybody that donates is going to be on the Matthew Lazinski memorial wall of gratitude which will be located in the matthew lazinski memorial studio guys um it's it's you know it's going to be there your name uh it doesn't matter about your dollar contribution you know i've donated fifty dollars which i really can't afford to do i've also donated five dollars a couple times um and there's really no difference between the $5 donation and the $50 donation. And I'll tell you right now, quickly, before we get into the episode, that all this money that's being raised through this cause uh, will go to the startup costs uh, to pay the lawyer fees, incorporation fees. There's many things, guys, the trademarking, all of it. There just never seems to end. And trust me, if I could um, pull it out of my bank account or just figure it out, I would. Uh, but I can't. So if you want to be one of the builders of the Poxport Foundation, these initial contributions, you can help do that. And uh, you will be on the Matthew Lazinski Memorial Wall of Gratitude. Um, so guys, that's pretty exciting. But uh, you know, this episode is proudly brought to you by Team Issued Limited. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. Guys, you can check them out. Teamissued.ca. Use promo code TOEDRAG15 to get 15% off your total purchase. If, you, if you're watching right now, you can see my Team Issued hat. I got the team issued sweats on uh, my guest who you know it's part two my dad he even sent me a picture he's rocking team issued these days too uh, they have men and women's clothes kids clothing guys um, it's uh, top of the line they also have athletic wear which is much like Under Armour or Lululemon guys check it out that is a former teammate of mine Jesse Paradise he was my second guest ever I talk about that all the time too but listen just so grateful that he was able to jump on at such an early stage and, and hop on with Team Issued. And uh, honestly, he helped me out because when I got out of jail, I had nothing. I had no clothes. Um, 
pretty much one pair of pants and one shirt, one sweatshirt that I wore seriously for a month straight. You can ask Taylor, a Magong Show hockey hoodie that I don't even want to wear anymore um, because I wore it out so bad. If you look at the videos of me uh, skating on the ice in Muskoka, actually, I'm wearing that hoodie. I didn't even have a jacket, put it that way. I didn't even have a winter jacket. Um, that's where I was at, but I had my Gong Show hoodie and I skated. Next thing you know, the podcast started. Uh, so guys, check out teamissued.ca, promo code TOEDRAG15. Without further ado, once again, for the second time, here it is, episode 51. After the game, I was sitting in the car. As we're driving, pulling out of the rink, uh, my dad just starts ripping into me. I need to smarten up. I'm embarrassing him. And he's true. Like, what I did was absolutely insane. Shooting the puck at the ref, causing a scene. I can't imagine how many parents were like, what the hell's wrong with your son? My dad's like saying all this to me, and I just remember leaning in and punching him. I just remember my dad hammering on the brakes, turning around and giving me a shot back. And I remember instantly crying, you can't hit me, I'm calling the police, you're going to jail. So my dad, of course he knows the area, doesn't say anything. I'm just sitting there going off, he's not saying a word. You're gonna be sorry, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden the car stops. My dad looks back at me. He's like, well, get out and tell him. I look out the window. We're outside the police station. And then I'm like, I'm not going out there. And he's like, that's what I thought. No, sit there and shut up. And I'll never forget it. Do you remember that? <laughs> I do. It's in my book. <laughs> oh, you're writing a book now. The the good or bad part for you is I started to write the book, but I also have probably 90% of the text you ever sent in the last 10 years. Oh, it's a long way from being finished, but you have to talk to longer at that this it wasn't a Springer or a Povich yet, but it might be in episode 51. Guess what, guys? He's agreed to come back for another one. Episode 51 is going to feature my dad, Brian, as well. I'm just so lucky. feel lucky any chance to talk to my dad, and I'm just looking forward to developing a relationship and spending some time uh, and just really showing him who I am today. Well, I didn't see you doing a lot of things, but so I knew you would do something in the hockey world at some point. You're doing a good job at this, and you seem passionate about it, so keep you going in the right direction. That'll be good. Just look forward to the future. Make it better for everybody. Ah, I didn't think the intro would ever end, so you must be choosing to have a good day today.
This song used to just get me fired up. My dad would play this song for me and this would just get me going. Love this song. Without further ado, let's bring him in. He's not in Port Coquillum anymore. He's living up in paradise in the Okanagan, close to Vernon, in between Vernon and Kelowna, but closer to Vernon. Dad, what's going on? Well, it's afternoon now, and you told me to get up real early to do it in your time, and I started off with Bailey's and coffee. It's rum and coke time now. <laughs> well, that's my bad. Listen, I got lots going on. I have some technical difficulties this morning trying to figure out how to do this live, and uh, hey, we made it work. Uh, kinda. So there's a couple glitches there in the intro for Facebook. I'm I'm kind of uh, new, but we'll get we'll get her ironed out. So uh, you know, listen. Thanks uh, thanks again for doing this. Uh, lots there on episode 50. I've had lots of great feedback. Uh, people, you know, I think uh, it was pretty emotional, not just for myself. Uh, a lot of people told me it was a, a tearjerker for them as well. And, um, that wasn't exactly like the point of it all, but um, you know, just wanted to, to be as real as possible. But listen, we only real dad, we only covered what the first 17 years of my life. <laughs> yeah, well, it's hard to get a word in edgewise sometimes when you're on a roll. So I just let you go. And um, your old coach sent me a note uh, telling you to slow down again, Hunch. You've had him on, but he gave me a little uh, one of his philosophies that might work for you. He asked me to pass it on, so he says, this will sound really corny, but it's part of my philosophy, uncheck. Uh, the puck is a form of life. You either chase it or control it. It will always be moving. Put yourself in a spot to handle it or spend a lifetime chasing it around. Mm, I like that. I chased the puck a lot on the ice, didn't I? <laughs> well, yeah, you, you kind of were like a rabbit out there sometimes, yep. Yeah, sometimes looping myself into the ice, as Dean Chenoweth would say. That's a that's a great philosophy. Thanks, Hunch. Uh, Hunch Hunch was obviously on the podcast. He's a honestly he was such a great coach and a great guy, and he uh, was there through a lot of the uh, the hard times. Um, you know, and again, he had no idea really what was going on because I didn't open up to him. So you know, I don't know what you really remember about when I walked away from the Western Hockey League. Um, but let's start there. Uh, I'm 18 years old. I just got the Rookie of the Year, Swift Current Broncos. I come back. I'm getting every opportunity. Uh, at the time, you're working for the team as a scout as well. Um, and, you know, uh, training camp ends, season starts. Uh, I think seven games into the season, I decide to come home. What do you remember about that? Well, first, how you got the Swift Current is because our original plan was that you were going to Everett's camp, and then the, the other kid we drafted in your age group that year didn't come, so they needed some 87s, and you had a pretty good provincial camp, and our plan was, is to, that's why we flew to Calgary rather than Regina, as I was dropping you off at Strathmore to do Everett's first camp. But then you got listed by our GM, another former guest you had on, Brad McEwen, and and that was it. And I, uh, you knew about it before I did. So, um, I was when you pissed. Were eight, I was pissed. Yeah, I know you were mad. You were really mad. Like, especially when we drove past Rathmore. 
I know. All I wanted, um, yeah, all I wanted to do is play for the Everett Silver Tips. Um, and I was, I remember, like, I remember, like, honestly, hanging up the phone on Brad McEwen. I was, I wasn't even at home. I was at, I was in Maple Ridge at Natalia's house, and, and he called. I remember the house phone there, or whatever. And uh, I remember being like mad. I remember like not even being happy that I was listed to the Western Hockey League because I was, I think, weeks away from going to Everett's camp, right? Yeah, I, I, I think it was July or. Early August, but yeah, no, that's why we booked the flight to Calgary. Our original plan was to drop you off because I had to go to training camp in Swift, but then we just kept going. Yeah, I remember that, but you know, so it didn't work out that way. But I'll, I'll quickly to touch on the story when I left Swift Current as an 18 year old, when I quit, um, I told Dean Chanel because I just wanted to be closer to home. I thought that was the answer to my problems, and I just thought that. Uh, playing for the Vancouver Giants or the Everett Silvertips were the only two teams that I would that I would uh, go play for. So, what like do you remember when I that day? Do you remember at all when I the day I decided to just get my truck and drive home to Swift Current or back home uh, to Port Coquitlam? <laughs> I didn't think you were serious, and Hangy was phoning me, and I think Wilson was phoning me, and um, I thought you know you you'd done some things as a youngster where you run around a building and hide or something. I thought you were just going to maybe get an hour out of town and turn around and go back. But you drove most of the night and you showed up and yeah, I was quite shocked, but uh, I have a question for you. Did you know you were playing for Burnaby before that? No, I had no idea. I honestly had no idea. Um, true story is, uh, I, I came home and, uh, I honestly, I didn't really care if I had ever played hockey again, but when I got home, I was like, uh, kind of wanted to get back on the ice. And, uh, I just, I reached out to the Ridge Metal Flames cause that's where I played the year before. And they said, Hey, you know, you might as well, you should go play for, for the express while you're waiting for a trade. Um, and then, and then the rest was history. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've, I remember you were pretty excited to get your education money from Burnaby, and I thought that was all prearranged, but we never really talked about it. But yeah, so. no, that was that was not prearranged, and again, that's something that uh, maybe was handled mispro like totally in in a wrong way. But that money went one hundred percent to partying, and I think that you know led me down a, a pretty dark path. Whether or not that's the reason is is uh, it's obviously not the reason, but it certainly helped. Um, and that's when I started uh, partying during the games and stuff. But how about when I uh, got traded? Finally, my dream comes true and I get traded to the Everett Silver Tips. Uh, okay. I, um, Kevin Constantine, who's not the easiest guy to talk to or probably play for, but a really good coach, phones me and says, we traded for your son. We haven't got a hold of him yet. And uh, I gave him the number and he... Uh, because I was in Victoria at the legislature doing some firefighter lobbying stuff. And I asked you, got hold of you, and you were all excited. And I thought, oh, this is good. That's what you always wanted. And and um, I said, you want me to come home? Because they're going to pick you up at the border. They're starting a BC swing or an Alberta swing. And you said, no, no, it's all good. I'm, I'm ready. So uh, the next day, Constantine phones me again and says, where the F is your kid? And I I go, what are you talking about? He, as he phoned me and said he's not coming now. So he, he was not a happy camper. Yeah, and that was probably looking back um, a, a pretty big mistake on my part. And it just so <laughs> happened that, that you were away. And I feel like if you were home, 
there's no way that I don't end up in Everett. And I'm not saying that it's your, you had worked. It's not your fault. I'm just saying. Um, and I, you know, I was, I originally, I was excited. I remember the phone call. I remember talking to Kevin Constantine and being excited. Uh, and as soon as the phone hung up, I was like, uh, like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I'm going to go. And I remember Mike Barnes was like, what do you mean you're not going to go? And I'm like, yeah, that's what I mean. I'm not going. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, the rest was history. And then from there, I just, uh, really started going down, down a, a dark path, uh, started missing games with Burnaby. And then, uh, I pretty much left you no choice, but to kick yet, get, but to kick me out of the house at 18 years old. Well, I didn't know it was as bad. And maybe his parents are blind or you hid some of it from me, but you know, I was still working shift work and stuff. And, um, I'd show up at the games and you were having good games and stuff. And, you know, you went out with the boys and that and girls and stuff afterwards. So I didn't really see you much other than that during the game during that time. So, but yeah, you, uh, you started to slide a little bit. And then I remember Darcy Rhoda and Bill Ranford and uh, coming to see me. And I go, well, what do you mean? He's not at practice. And I go, you know, cause I'd go to work and you were supposed to be, practicing and they're going to start showing up so and then you started missing games and then which is too bad because uh you helped them get into the playoffs there and then they had a great run and you were you were sitting in the stands beside me at one point yeah and uh yeah i should have been there they ended up winning the national championship that year with kyle turris and uh you know i started off really well with them and uh was enjoying it but i don't know something about i just never really uh fit in with the team and, and again it's not that i didn't fit or that the team didn't fit with me it was that i was going what was going on with me um mentally at that point was i was just uh all over the place and uh really starting uh to just lose my way and so i remember um you know essentially i got kicked out of the house when i was 18 but like i left pretty easily um i almost looked at it as a it's like okay like i can do this and i'm free but looking back it was you know i certainly wasn't the right choice but luckily i was able to go to katie's house and anthony's and then um i was able to actually pull myself together a little bit um and manage to ask Dean Schnell to take me back to Swift Current. Do you remember that at all? I do remember that because, I mean, I was, I'm going back anyhow for training camp. And um, I remember us going back. And I remember you worked very hard during the summer, I think with Adam. And I think you were skating with Vlad and those guys and Yip and all those guys. And um, I remember we, we might have been on the way to the airport or we were in this sporting goods store in Swift Current, and you said you needed new runners. And I go, well, where's all your runners? Well, no, I don't have them or whatever. So I ended up, I don't know, $150 pair of shoes that I wasn't counting on buying. But then fitness testing started. You're outside with one group. I'm inside doing the, the push-ups or pull-ups or bench press, whatever. And then I see them carrying you in, and your feet are bleeding. Oh, yeah. You forgot about this, right? So you're on borrowed time and you're coming in from doing your wind sprint times and your feet are bleeding. And I go, what the hell happened? He goes, well, I stepped on a piece of glass. And I go, well, didn't you have your shoes on? The shoes that were only hours old? <laughs> oh, no, I can go way faster without the shoes. So you couldn't get your skate on right away, but you 
you missed a day, I think, and they go, well, he's not making the club. Yeah. And I think you got butter to uh, crazy glue the, in between your toes there. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I remember that. What was the deciding factor around that? About How, how close was it to them almost being like, no? Uh, well, I'm sure it was closer than, than you think. But then um, I remember you wanted number 10 because that's what you had. And they went, no, we've given that to Bordas. So oh, that yeah. was... You thought you were going to come back and just, uh, you no, know, Dean, Dean handled you like a, a newbie and, uh, and that probably smartened you up. And then you started to play okay. And, and, uh, they decided to keep you because when you played, you're a pretty good player. When you fool around, you're not. Yeah. And that was kind of the knock, right? I was, a, I think just really inconsistent, uh, a lot of the time. You know, I was overthinking things, and a lot of those times it was overthinking things that didn't involve hockey, and that was half the problem. I was on the ice thinking about things that had nothing to do with hockey, and it wasn't even like I was trying to. It was just like all of a sudden I'd be like, holy shit, I'm on the bench. I'm, I'm in the, you know what I mean? Uh, that was, you know, it wasn't um, for a lack of focus or trying. Um, I just had these crazy emotions and thoughts sometimes. I don't know if anybody listening can relate to that. Um, any hockey players maybe or or just anybody listening in general like where you're just supposed to be doing something where it's so important um, but you're just so overcome with um, anxiety and and almost fear and then you start your these emotions start coming in it's like almost like you're in a different place than where you actually are Um, and uh, it's yeah, so that that could have been that could have been part of it, but listen, things worked out for the most part uh, until Parents Weekend. What happened? Uh, well, it was a fun weekend because I got to see some of the parents, and then there was uh, I think that might have been when I took Big Earn to Boston Pizza when I thought he was of age and he wasn't. But um, shout outs to Big Earn in uh, uh, he's, he's, he's probably listening, but anyhow. Um, there was a party and you ended up going to it and, um, uh, Chandler's dad and I went back to the hotel and the next morning Dean's phoning me, where's your kid? And I mean, you weren't in the hotel with me. You were supposed to be at your billet. Then you missed the practice the next morning or the skate or whatever it was. It was, and nobody it was uh, sorry to interrupt you. It was not even, it was worse. It was running stairs. No. Okay. So. You were probably hung over and didn't didn't show up, but I thought you were in good care with Schenderling or whatever, but I guess everybody else made it but you, so. Yeah, uh, 76 or 36, I can't remember. There was a couple different times where it happened, where once in Burnaby and once here where I slept through a thing and I had all these missed phone calls. One time there was, I just remember the number 76. I think 76 was this weekend. Uh, in Swift Current, I woke up at 11 a.m. Um, on the on the floor uh, of the girl's house, who uh, eventually was um, ended up having my baby, uh, which caused a lot of problems. Um, mostly, I caused the problems, and and then I had to deal with the problems, and I'm the one still dealing with the problems today. Uh, and everybody else that was involved uh, is is doing very well, but. Um, that was a really hard time. Do you remember the very first time you heard that maybe I was potentially having a kid with a girl from Swift Current? I don't remember exactly when. I remember hearing about it, and I, um, I think you might have told me, but 
you kind of downplayed it a bit that it, well, you didn't want to admit at first that it was yours to me at least. And, uh, I remember Dean telling me that, it, you know, Fulf Current's a pretty small town here and it's not going well. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a tough situation and I've talked about it where, uh, you know, I was pretty much kind of, I don't want to sit there and make blame because I still made the, my own decision, but I was pretty much given an ultimatum because another girl I was dating after when I came home got, got pregnant and she was like, you know, you got to pick one or the other. And that's, that's the truth. I don't care what anyone says. That's the truth. Um, and regardless of how I handled the situation um, is is a different story, uh, which I need to own and I, and I do every single day. Um, but at 19 years old, Leaving Swift Current, I was told that uh, this girl was pregnant. Uh, I went home and I just basically didn't want to believe it to be true. Uh, I thought that it would go away at, at 19 years old. I, I didn't really know how to feel about it. And uh, when it ended up coming out uh, and then the other girl got pregnant, I had two girls pregnant at the same time. It was like, holy shit, um, what am I going to do here? Uh, and when I was given that kind of ultimatum, um, at this time, Dad, you and I had um, had sort of... Uh, our relationship had started to drip because we had our little falling out where I, I, I say I got kicked out, but you know, yeah, I kind of got kicked out, but I, I pretty much left and, um, you know, our, our relationship kind of deteriorated a little bit, started there. Um, and you know, so I kind of just, uh, jumped in with, with the family of, uh, of my ex-girlfriend and, um, and things really started going downhill. Uh, but you know, I, I went back to Swift Current, um, having two girls pregnant for my 20-year-old season. Um, and I did not, re I just remember going to Swift Current. And like you said, such a small town. Um, again, you're still working for the team. All this drama, all the bullshit I had been through. Now this. Uh, how are you feeling at this time going back to my 20-year-old training camp with all this drama and bullshit attached to it? <laughs> tried to just do the work that I was supposed to do, but you can't avoid, you know, it's kind of like when I walk around Poco or when all the shit hit the fan with you later on, like, Oh, that's Brady's dad. Or that's, yeah. that's Mr. Leavold or, or that's, yeah, he used to be that guy or yeah. So yeah. there was a lot of that in that town. Cause I think then there was only like 16,000 people and you know, they like the fans know the scouts in that town just because they all come out to training camp and stuff. So, yeah, it was a different year and different from the board members. I mean, uh, I kind of got tired with the same brush. I figured maybe that would be a good time that they would release me from my duties there, but it, they didn't. <laughs> well, they did me. They they released me of my duties, and I was traded um, from Swift Current to the Kelowna Rockets, and that ended up being uh, just an, a fantastic year all around um except i was still dealing with uh with the, with a lot of the uh the bullshit and, and to be honest at this time uh i was pretty much uh, i think i honestly dad had such a good year because i was spending a lot of time up uh near big white with my ex's family uh, when i wasn't at my billets house up in the bush kind of like the surrounding i'm in now on the atv and stuff i'm telling you it just does something for my psyche however i got to play with some pretty good players um was what was your thoughts getting traded to Kelowna? Do you remember when I got traded to Kelowna? Because I had no idea uh, when I got traded to Kelowna. Do you remember that at all? Do you, can you walk me through that a little bit? Because I had no idea. Did you know? When did you find out? 
Uh, Dean phoned me and says, I'm trading Brady tomorrow or he's coming home. And and I think you've even told this story before. You drove to Calgary Airport, but you didn't know where you were going yeah. until the, the trade was finalized. And I think, as luck would have it, I think Kelowna's um, next game was in Vancouver. Maybe you had a home game first, but... Um, I know you're in Vancouver right after that because I came to a practice in the morning and uh, I talked to Bruce Hamilton a bit and said, you know, thanks a lot for giving him a chance because it was early. It was still before they'd cut the 20 year old. So you could have been gassed from Kelowna too. Yeah. Because you beat out uh, Lion or Leon or whatever his name was. Mark um, son, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I ran into Bruce Hamilton. And I said, hey, thanks, Bruce, for giving giving him a shot here as a 20-year-old. I know you didn't have to take him, and he's got some baggage. And I introduced myself again. And I'd known Bruce for years. I've been in the league probably 15 years back then or somewhere around there. But I just introduced myself again, and he basically said, I know who the F you are. And, uh, yeah, well, he's not guaranteed, and he just walked away. So, <laughs> But that's Bruce. Yeah, that's uh, that's typical Bruce fashion. Uh, he gave Just, me he gave me the same sorry he gave me the same treatment always, uh, except uh, he he did give me the nice compliment, which I've said before. After when I was at the Kelowna Rockets alumni tournament, he was teeing off behind me or in front of me, uh, and after I hit my shot or he hit his shot, and as I was going away, he's like, "Leibold, is that you?" He's like, "You were the best trade I ever made," and I think he was must have had a few drinks in him, but. It worked out really well. Um, you ended up getting to see me play a lot. Uh, was there something else you wanted to add there? No, just, uh, I mean, Adam Fuss probably not going to like this story, but the Rockets were playing in Vancouver this year. And Bruce came in and he goes, what the hell's wrong with my team? And I said, well, they got no oomph tonight. He goes, that's my thoughts exactly. And then that's the night Adam Fuss got, yeah. So he, uh, he, uh, it's the only time he probably ever listened to me, but I didn't say fire the coach because somehow I felt a little <laughs> responsible <laughs> after that. But now I see him all the time in his flashy suits and he's real nice to me. So Yeah, no, Bruce, uh, I have nothing bad to say about Bruce. I think he he runs a, runs a, great, runs a great program. I will say that there's my opinion and, and you work in, this is something you don't even have to talk on it, but my opinion is that there's so much room uh, for improvement in, as a whole in the CHL with, with player development, not on the ice, I'm talking off the ice, and then supporting them um, during and, of course, after their careers. Um, but, of course, you look at any situation in anything, and there's always room for improvement. So that's not what this podcast is about. That's certainly not this episode. Um, but my time uh, in the Western Hockey League was, was awesome. I Was that, you know, probably the most fun you ever had watching me play? Was that year in Kelowna or...? Uh, yep, and some in Victoria in the East Coast League because I didn't get to see you play in the American League or your short stint in Europe, even though I had planned to go over there, <laughs> or Texas, and we'll we'll talk on that in a minute too. But um, you probably don't know this, but uh, Bruce phoned me on the like you were in Game Seven in Seattle, and I was driving down, and he phoned me, and I'm like just at Bellingham, like still another hour and a half away. He goes can you get Brady to Victoria tomorrow? And I said, well, why? Like, I forgot there was even an East Coast team team there. He goes, well, if we lose tonight, they want him in Victoria. And I go, have you talked to him? He goes, no, I can't talk to him because I don't want him distracted for game seven. But 
if we lose, you guys, these guys got to get right to Victoria for tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, I remember so, that. That was, uh, and, and we did. And, you know, I remember, um, you know, losing out in game seven. It was, it was horrible. Actually, I led the first round in goals. Uh, I played really well. Um, but I, had, I was having fun. Um, that was a big thing. And again, I was, I went to Victoria and I was, uh, having some fun too. Um, but yeah, what a great experience growing up. Did you think you were going to get a chance to watch me play like in the Western hockey league? At what point in time were you like, okay, maybe he's got a chance here. Um, did you ever think I was going to play pro? Uh, I don't know about pro, but, uh, Western league, I thought you had a sniff for sure when you're at under 16s and 17s, but, um, uh, yeah, no, I, I, once you had the 20 year old year, I, lots of NHL scouts that I see all the time. So he's going to get something. He's going to get a sniff. He's going to get something. Don't worry. He'll get a, he'll get an offer or he'll get a tryout or so. I thought he might have a chance. Yeah. And, uh, I had, uh, you know, I had a few different offers and I decided to, to go the road at route I did. And I'm not going to talk about that on this podcast because, just doesn't really matter. Uh, there's some stuff that will be left for the book, um, and I'm sure uh, you can you can feel the same about some stuff. Um, but that summer uh, after Kelowna, uh, I really started to get heavy into the coke, and that was something that I wasn't really um, wasn't really doing uh, a whole lot of before that. And uh, I made the mistake of asking somebody while we were moving. Uh, for some, because everybody else was doing it, and then this guy just kept bringing it to me. I talked about it in one of these episodes, uh, and I just wasn't training at all. Uh, I wasn't really seeing you. You were up where you are now, as you are most summers, uh, for the majority of the time when you could have been. You were working at the time, um, but you're very lucky that you get to spend a lot of time up there. Um, so you didn't get to see me a lot, but when you did see me, I was able to like kind of pull it together, and it, everything looked good on the outside. Um, but I remember I just, I went to training camp and I was just in horrible shape. Actually, I remember you dropped me off. You remember dropping me off at the airport in Vancouver to go to Victoria, like in July, July, (laughs) to go to Tampa's camp. Yes, I do. That was a pretty frightening experience. And when I got there, I was in a bad way. And, uh, it's obviously, it's talked about lots in my story and, in the Sportsnet article and stuff, and you and I have never talked about it, but, I mean, it's in there. It's in the article, all the stuff that transpired there, and it's really unfortunate what happened to Mitch Fadden. Uh, and I still can't believe um, that he's going to just quickly want to say they just did the Mitch Fadden Memorial Golf Tournament uh, in Salmon Arm. I believe it was a week ago, maybe two now, because my, my memory is so bad with my, all the concussions and stuff I've had, not to mention the horrible drug drug abuse um, that I've put myself through. So excuse me if I don't have the dates exactly correct, um, but I just quickly wanted to say that. And I would love to get out there uh, if everything works, no COVID, everything next year, but I see no reason why I can't be there um, next year. Uh, and Dad, uh, I'd like you to join me if I can get out there. I think that would be fun for us to go and, and maybe That'd be fun, man. Fine, I'm sorry. actually going to Salmon Arm tomorrow to for four days of golf with all the old parts. So, well, there you go. So, you know, I would have went to that one had I known because I'm only an hour away, right? So, yeah. So, you know, maybe we can get a couple groups or something and support that cause and and um, and do that because Mitch was a hell of a player and honestly he was such a he was just such a great guy. He was fun to be around when I lived with him in Norfolk in that in the hotel and. 
we had our tiffs. Uh, we used to, we almost fought a couple of times, but that, you know, that'll happen when you're living in a hotel room with someone for like four months or three months or whatever it was. So, um, but going uh, into pro and all that, um, you know, I had a pretty rocky first year, the injury, all that stuff, but managed to finish the year pretty good. Um, and then that summer, uh, I actually trained, but that was the summer that I started using oxys. Did you have any idea that I was using oxys? And when did you start to figure that out? Mm, not for quite a while, actually, because you seemed fine or you hit it well, like really well for me. Um, I'm just trying to remember back. So I don't know if you have touched on this, but you went to Norfolk and that's, I mean, well, the training camp was bizarre, the rookie camp, because do you remember the kids that were on the ice? Like the young kids? Yeah. Tyson Berry and Miles Coolis. Yeah. And how old were they? Uh, Tyson was <laughs> 16 and Miles was, <laughs> I don't know, 14, I think. And um, Len and Owen or whatever. Orin Coolis, yeah. Or, yeah, they were coaching and putting on the game. They were what? They were coaching the inter-squad game, and they're 16-year-old and 14-year-old or whatever. They're out They're out, out against all the free agents and rookies. So Yeah, it was kind of crazy. But uh, that's what happens when you own the team, I guess. They but, were both so you pretty went, good, though, let's be honest. Tice, yeah, no, Tice, Tice, was, Tice was easily probably the best defenseman on the ice, but still, the other yeah. guy was 14. He was oh, yeah, there's bad. no doubt. Didn't he yeah, play he in the Western league. league, too? Yeah, I think he played in Medicine Hat, I think. And Portland, I believe. <laughs> Maybe. But, uh, so you went to Norfolk because you signed a, well, let's talk about you signing your, your contract, which... You told me uh, Norfolk's offer or campus offered me a contract. I said, "Don't sign. Yeah, go red. Go register to the Justice Institute with your scholarship money, which you could have deferred, like started and deferred, and the Justice Institute would have whatever. Yeah, but then you phone back. No, no, I'm going to sign. And I said, "Don't sign. Use your, you know, if they want you now, they'll want you in a month." But then you said, oh, they're giving me 10 grand more, and I signed. Now I'm going to the Justice Institute. I said, well, you can't do that now. Yeah. So that was fire school number one down the drain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and then, um, well, yeah, and then. So another... we'll just, okay. Go ahead. We'll just, you're back in Norfolk, and Lenny owns the team, and they got in Norfolk, and there's a, there's uh, a friend of mine who was playing there who kind of took you under his wing and I don't know if you remember Jamie Heward of course yeah yeah well he was assistant coach of Swift later on when I was there but he just talked about it like there was all these guys back then making million dollar contracts and they had to play them all to trade them all because Tampa was a bit of a mess they had way too many so they had NHL guys playing in Norfolk, so you weren't really going to crack the lineup too often. And I remember they said, you can stay and play every fifth or sixth game or something, or you can go back to Victoria, yeah. which worked, worked out well for you because you were in the East Coast and you were going to the North and in contact. Yeah, making so maybe, money. Yeah. Maybe you can explain that to your listeners, how that works compared to an East Coast contract. Yeah, well, you know, because I was on the American League deal, uh, my money was one. It was guaranteed. It didn't matter if I got hurt or if I played bad. They couldn't get rid of me. 
and then, uh, of course, the, the exchange rate was, was great because now I was living in Canada and I was getting paid in American dollars from, from the Tampa Bay Lightning. My checks came from the Tampa Bay Lightning. And, um, and then because the American League deal uh, is, you know, it's a lot you know, the money is just quite a bit more than, than the East coast, uh, than the East coast contract. Um, but then, you know, it worked out good because then in playoffs I was getting, you know, paid double, I think, because I was still under contract for the American league cause it was running, uh, longer see a little bit longer season, but then we had started playoffs. So I was getting that money too. It worked out, worked out good, but honestly the deciding factor of why I came back and I wish I didn't, uh, was because my ex told me that she wasn't coming to Virginia. Um, and in retrospect, I wish I would have just said, okay, well, I'll see you guys in a few months. Um, because, at, you know, looking back now, I haven't seen my kids in years. Uh, and that could have made the difference uh, of me staying there uh, instead of, you know, going to Victoria uh, and getting hurt uh, and all those things. And But, you know, you can't really look at, uh, look at life and go, hey, you know, what is could have, should have. However, uh, you know, that was, uh, that was a, a big, big thing um, that, you know, I still um, have a, a kind of an issue with, uh, to be honest, is the decision that I, uh, that I made there. Um, but what do you do? Uh, what was uh, your take on that when I came down? Did you have any idea that it was kind of my decision to, to leave the American League? Did you know that? No, I, t- I talked to Len and he and to Jamie because he, um, um, you know, was an NHL veteran there, and he had some mutual friends that scouted in the league, and he just told me like, you know, he can he can play, but it's not going to be for a while till we clean house here and and make some room. Um, I don't know. I never never got the truth about your playing on a lot of things from you, so even when you went to Europe and that, but and especially when you went back to Victoria for the second year, well, the third year, I guess, if you count your 20 year old year. Well, yeah, that was, uh, that story there is, is one for that could, I could probably write a whole book on, to be honest. So, you know, I went back to Victoria, uh, and at that time I just, yeah, I started using oxys in July um, really like have like heavily like everyday type use. Um, and you know, not everyday type. Yeah. Everyday type use to the point where, you know, instead of was just taking it, you know, for pain here and I would skip a day or whatever. Well, now I had done it, you know, every day for, you know, I think it was 11 or 12 days and it was getting towards the end of July and I'll never forget it. And it was a really hot day in pit meadows. And I just remember, and I was just remember going like, holy shit, like my body uh, is addicted to these things. And I remember like seeing people go through it, like uh, my ex's brothers, whatever, um, and, and hearing about it, seeing it on intervention. But in my mind, it was like that could never happen to me. Um, there's just no way you can't you can't understand that a pill can do that to you. And, and so then I found myself in that situation of that sheer desperation. And by this time I now have, um, you know, Brooklyn, uh, and Brittany at this time, uh, was, was pregnant, um, and months, a month and a half away from having Brody. And so I'm, but the, the shitty part is, is that that summer was the one summer that I trained harder 
than I had ever trained in my entire life. Uh, I did not miss any days of training, which was completely um, out of the norm for me. Usually I would totally miss training or whatever. I didn't miss any training. I remember Vic Bartley like even being like, hey, I'm so proud of you. Um, you know, you're, you're really turning a new leaf here and da, 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 da. Um, but I was doing these oxys every day. And then, so when I went to training, I remember that day in July when I tried to stop, I was like, holy shit, this is crazy. I remember like trying to sweat it out on the couch just for like six hours, stick into this leather couch. And I'm like, this is crazy. I can't do it. And I gave up. Um, and so then I kept doing it. And then all of a sudden I remember I, right before training camp, um, if you know, I'm telling you this cause you don't know, I, I remember I went to her, one of my ex's brothers and I said, yo, this is crazy. Like, I can't be doing this. I got to play hockey. Like, how am I going to stop this? I tried. I can't. The kids training hockey. Holy shit. What am I doing? And um, he's like, well, here. He's like, I'll get you some methadone at this time. I have no idea what methadone is. I'll get you some methadone. Da, 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 da. You can taper off. You drink this much. Then you drink this much the next day. Then the next day you take this much. And I'm like, okay. In my mind, I'm like, okay, this is the answer to my question, my, my problems here. Um, and I remember I went and stayed at grandma Lever's house for like a day or two before I went there. Um, and I was so, uh, so sick. Um, but I was trying, I was trying to take the methadone and then I got on the ferry and I remember I ended up, the methadone was essentially supposed to last for 10 days. And by the time I got on the ferry, I had taken it all because it wasn't doing anything. And I remember I get to training, I get to Victoria by myself. I drove that little gold car across on the ferry. I was so sick. Uh, I went to Olivier Filion's house um, and we were there. I was there a couple days before training camp. And uh, I remember sitting in the basement. I didn't sleep, could barely walk. I'm shitting and puking and trying to skate and and uh, I pretty much blamed it. It was on H1N1 because that was what was going on around the time in the world was H1N1. And so basically once that happened, um, they were like, okay, well, you can't pass your physical, so you're gone because that's just what happens. It's so cutthroat. Uh, and I, so I came home and I continued to use and uh, then I went to Holland uh, and I remember you dropped me off at the airport and I remember in my pocket I had a lifesavers container with like I don't know 10 oxys in it thinking okay I have 10 I'm gonna just get there and I'm gonna wean off of these you know because at this time I'm I don't know dad was I 21 or 22 or whatever um, I really had no idea uh, what you know the whole process of withdrawal was and all of it and I went to Holland uh, and it was the worst three weeks of my entire life I didn't sleep not a wink uh, I was in withdrawal the whole time um, and that was way before heroin and everything else and I would never go like seeking for drugs on the street at this point and I really just tried and I tried so hard harder than you or anyone could ever imagine um, trying to kick it uh, and they were like forced me to play by the end of it and I couldn't even stand up on the ice they were calling me Bambi I couldn't that's how weak I was um, and finally I just ended up quitting and coming home and that was sort of uh, it for my hockey career uh, until I went to Texas what do you remember around that time now that I'm saying this well uh, I remember I dragged uh you must have played some games. It was the year before. I'm trying to think when I went out there. Uh, you had told the, I guess the team doctor was still issuing you oxys, which I didn't know about. And then you, 
because of your schedule and your kid situation, Victoria, like home, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the odd time, but then you would go to the, our family doctor and say, we're going on a road trip or whatever. I need some more. And you conned him into, to, I found a prescription long after where he gave you 300. Oh yeah. There was times dad where, uh, I went to Victoria I was in Victoria. I got a prescription. Uh, I, w- I took the ferry home. Uh, while I got I got home, I would call the doctor in Victoria. I would say, "This is I only did this once, but I, this is the first time because I knew it only worked once. But I called him. I said, hey. I said, my car got broken into while I was on the ferry. My my girlfriend's bag got stolen, everything, blah, blah, blah. I was, she wasn't even with, with me at the time. I was by myself. <laughs> Excuse me. And uh, so sure enough, um, he sends another script to the pharmacy uh, in Pitt Meadows. So then I get there. I fill that one. The next day, I go to the doctor, uh, family doctor, like you said, and I tell him, and I do what you said. So then I go fill that one. Um, then the next day, I tell the doctor that I was at the gym and my gym bag got stolen. So now I go to fill this one. And I remember, I think you were in the car. I think you drove me and I think you actually paid for this prescription, this one. And um, this is how many I was doing. Maybe maybe, what, maybe you didn't pay, maybe you weren't there on this one. So uh, this time, but so in a matter of seven days, I think it was, I ended up filling four scripts and each time it was like 296 pills. So on the fourth time, I went to go fill it and the pharmacist was like, I'm not filling this. I had no idea that they had something called Pharmanet and they just brought it in and they keep track of all your uh, prescriptions. So it red flags. And so he's like, I can't, I can't fill this. And he calls the doctor. So he calls the family doctor and the doctor. And so he's like, the doctor wants to talk to you. And the doctor, I talked to, the, I remember talking to the doctor. And the doctor's like, Brady, what's going on? And I told, I was like, oh, man, I need my bills. I'm going on a road trip, da, 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 da. And he's like, pass the pharmacist the phone. I passed the pharmacist the phone. The pharmacist looked so pissed off. He hung up the phone and he filled that prescription. Uh, and then it was only about a week later, I think, is when you dragged me into the office with my ex's mom uh, and basically told him to never give me those again. And uh, I mean, he was pretty close to pulling it anyways, I think, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Well, um, the bad part about the Victoria experience for me is uh, I became pretty good friends with your coach there because we had a mutual friend and I went off on him like I've never gone off on anybody because you would plan to bring your family over and um, they invited you back and I had no idea the oxy use and that and then you were telling me it was H1N1 and he's only telling me it's the flu but um, they all knew, but no, he would never tell me. And I probably, I've never been so mad at somebody for him. And I've since apologized to him, but, um, he said, yeah, we should have told you then that they knew you were on drugs. Yeah. Uh, well, the thing is, is, uh, we could talk about this more is like, there was times when, um, uh, after I actually came back from Holland, I went back to Victoria um and while i went there um uh again i was in a bad way i was trying to get clean i was living with the trainer uh like you know what i mean we were essentially rent they put us in the same place team paying for or paying for our place and um i just remember like honestly i was i remember drinking like 
going and drinking beer trying to feel better and like I hate drinking and uh then it got to the point where I was going home and I needed to my addiction was getting so expensive uh these pills were costing $40 a pill $40 a freaking pill uh, and I was doing like 10 to 12 a day at one point. So this was long before. We're going to get into that. This is long before you were giving me all this money. Uh, but I, so I needed to find a way. So while I was, so while I was in Victoria, um, you know, I was propositioned to start, you know, while I was going back and forth on the ferry. So I, I was honestly, I was just, people were putting stuff in my bag. I didn't even really have, know what it was half the time. Okay, it was in a hockey bag and I would just pick it up and drop it off and that was fine. And that's how I was supporting myself for a while. So that's, you know, I didn't even care to be going over there. I wasn't even playing because, you know, I had a concussion and this and that. And they were trying to get rid of me, but they couldn't get rid of me. It was this crazy story. Um, but really I was just like so concerned about just maintaining my drugs uh, and I was just going over there to, to do that. And, uh, it was just a really bad, um, sad situation until the, the season ended. Um, I wasn't getting paid anymore. I wasn't going to Victoria anymore. Uh, I ended up breaking my hand really bad in the summer. And that's really, uh, I think when, when all the, I think the red flags went up for you. Is that, do you remember that around that time? Well, you punched a bus stop or something out in Maple Ridge, I think. And yeah, you were out of control then. You were, yeah. Yeah, it was the worst handbrake the doctor had seen in 10 years in Maple Ridge. And they had to pin my hand back together. Uh, it was dislocated and broken and all this. And uh, uh, I remember cutting off the cast shortly thereafter. The pins are sticking through my hands. It got really infected. Um, the doctors are putting me on IV therapy. Uh, I wasn't going to my IV therapy. It was now to the point where I was getting a bone infection. Uh, and they actually contacted, I think you and mom saying, did they contact you saying I was going to lose my hand or well, what happened there? Uh, I'm not sure who they, I think they might've caught hold of your mom. And then, uh, yeah, luckily uh, we had a friend, well, two friends that were doctors out there. So they kind of pulled some strings to, to keep you in and off the streets and look after your hands at the same time as a bit of your addiction. Yeah, I was thrown essentially in the psych ward for an, and transferred. I, I did the tour around the, the hospital. I mean, I was in the psych ward multiple times, but this is one time. Um, this was long before I went to jail. Uh, but shortly after, uh, this wasn't too long after I was playing professional hockey. So how, what was like, what was the, your thought process from going just a year or two years before, um, essentially living out my dreams, uh, to now completely, utterly a mess, uh, in sometimes, uh, what they call a suicide vest in the psych ward. Yeah. Well, it, it didn't take long. It happened fast. And I don't think there's anything we could do. You were just on your own agenda. Yeah. And, and no, I, I, I was for sure. Uh, there was not too much, uh, anyone could do, um, at that point. I mean, I bounced around, uh, you know, between mom's house and, and different things, but around this time was, uh, I think, uh, when people probably started, you know, doing that, oh, that's Brady's dad or that's, um, and you're dealing with all the, the bullshit of people, you know, me owing people money or, 
or this. And, and some things were true. A lot of things were true, but some of the things that were said about me weren't true. And I, that's just part of the territory. And, and when you're living a destructive lifestyle, people assume things that are not true and you just kind of have to take it because the shit that you did, um, you know, it's like, well, I did so much other shit that doesn't really, you know what I mean? So, um, but around that time, what was, uh, was it like, were you like embarrassed to go out in the community? Like, honestly, uh, at certain certain places, certain times. I mean, we lost a, a lot of friends once once you became totally out of control, and once you know the you became a lack of a better term, a wanted criminal. Um, but uh, it's it's still today. Like I can go here. Oh, that's where he was arrested, or there's a place he tried to rob, or that's where the taxi incident took place, or that's. And, you know, it's still today, just around town or, you know, this is an overpass where he got arrested, where he was going to jump off one night. Like, you know, they're not fun times. Yeah. And, and listen, I'm sorry for that. And like, I don't, uh, so when I'm going, when I was going through that, I remember, I remember that, like, honestly, I just, uh, I, I wanted to jump in front of a car, but I just couldn't bring myself to do it. I remember that night, the overpass night, that was it. That was a horrible, uh horrible night that I just remember that was probably um maybe the closest that I actually came um to committing suicide and, and that was the night uh that I was put in the in the psych ward for the long period of time I believe um and and thankfully that it, that happened honestly excuse me but um yeah like I don't know um there's a lot uh, that that transpired there, but then I go to rehab and I stay a little bit extra long there and, and you're coming to see me um, and then I make the call and I tell you, hey, I'm going to go back, I'm going to play hockey, I'm going to go to Texas um, and you were really supportive as always and, and you helped me get there um, and you drove me to the airport. Uh, what was the, the mindset then? Were you hopeful? Because I remember you dropped me off at rehab and you're like, by the way, take seven times on average. Good luck. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've i lost count. So, um, yeah, I remember because uh, um, I actually didn't drive you to the airport. I took you to Doug Rose's house and his wife or girlfriend at the time or she was a nurse and she had to drug test you before you could get on the plane to otherwise, uh, otherwise Rio wasn't going to take you. And that was, um, Ruskowski's orders and they, they wanted you there 24 hours. So I took you there and you spent that the night before the flight with them. I forgot about that. That's awesome. That's, uh, but then I missed the plane. Do you remember that? Uh, somewhat. Yeah. But, I had to fly. Yeah, I, I had to stay at Barb and Uncle, Auntie Barb and Uncle Rich's the next night because I missed the plane. Mm. Um, Doug, I don't think Doug got me to the airport in time or something, and uh, I ended up missing the flight. But I ended up getting to Rio. Uh, you never, you didn't make it to Texas, but uh, well, I I had planned to, but but what happened? I can't remember why I didn't go. I was going to the campuses were going to go, and then they ended up going and. I, I think I had something at work that I couldn't miss or something, but I couldn't go the weekend that it, that it was. And then I was going to try and go when you're 
on an eastern swing, but it just never worked out. Yeah, no, Texas was nice. I think you would have liked it. It was uh, certainly a, a culture shock. Lots of Spanish people, but for the most part, people were really nice. And, and man, we golfed a lot, and it was sunny every day. And, you know, Terry was a great coach, and, and a great group of guys got to play with, like I said, Campos and, and Willie and, and Gender. Uh, Gens, I think, is going to come on the podcast soon, I think, and um, which has been nice to talk to him again. He's, uh, you know, he's working for PA. Prince Albert, yeah, assistant coach. Yeah, so and he's doing his uh, skill development uh, out there. Uh-huh. So, uh, I don't know. It's it was uh, kind of a hopeful time when I was in Texas, but I'll tell you what: when I was pretty much forced, not forced, because I still made the choice. Um, given you know, I pretty much was made to feel bad that I wasn't home uh, right after the season ended. Um, because I wanted to stay a little bit extra. And honestly, it was to work on myself, to work on my recovery, to do all that. Uh, and uh, I came home, and I remember flying into Vancouver, looking down and being like, yeah. It was like I relapsed before the plane even landed. Um, and I flew home. I landed. You were away. Um, nobody was there to pick me up. My ex would not come pick me up with my kids. She wouldn't do it. Um, for whatever reason, uh, not going to get into that. She just didn't feel like it was her responsibility to pick me up from the airport. So I remember being stranded at the airport in tears. Uh, Mike Wilson actually came to pick me up. Um, and I spent the night at his house before I could get back, uh, back home. And I really had nowhere to, I didn't even know where I was going to live. Uh, I stayed with Kai for a bit, but then I, I relapsed shortly thereafter. And, uh, that is really, um, when my addiction started to, to take a downhill spiral. And before you flew home, you remember you were like 20 minutes from Texas fire school that we paid for. Yeah. That was the plan yeah. for you to stay down and go to that. But you stayed down and partied and went to the beaches and things. No, I didn't stay and party. I didn't drink. I didn't drink one sip of alcohol the entire time I was in Texas. I didn't party. I didn't say partying isn't drinking. You were out at the beach parties. I saw lots of pictures. (laughs) Yeah, we had our year end party or whatever, the the guys. But no, I was still going to do the fire schooling. But then, yeah, I came home and um, things uh, really, really fell apart for me when I came home. When did you start to realize that? Do you remember when I came home after Texas? Did you kind of think that things were going to fall apart? What did you see happening? Uh, when I got home from Texas? Well, when you didn't go to school, because I thought that would have been, like, I thought you were, I don't know what stage of addiction you were, because you played hockey all year, and I thought you might have been clean when you come back. And and uh, I just didn't know where you, or what was going to go on. And then you started um, working with Kai and hockey school kids and stuff, and I thought, okay, well, this is all right. Yeah, uh, it didn't it didn't last long though, um, and then from there, um, you know. But I, I relapsed, but I was able to get clean again. Uh, I went to rehab in Kelowna uh, in about October 2012, um, yeah. and uh, from there I ended up staying clean for almost a year. Um, and 
from there, um, basically what happened with the long and the short of it, a former teammate of mine kind of got together with my ex and man, I went crazy. That's when I robbed a taxi, but I was already um, about a month into my relapse when that happened. Um, maybe not a month, uh, shortly, you know, probably about a week, maybe two. Um, and uh, I'd have to look at the actual dates on it. But yeah, it was like mid-November when I when I relapsed. Um, and it was December 1st when I robbed the taxi. Um, and that was something that was not planned. It wasn't something that was uh, out of motive for money or for anything. It was for sheer transportation because honestly, I was going to go kill this guy. That was, In my mind, I was so messed up and I was so mad. And so, um, and uh, luckily I was able to, uh, to jump out of the cab not long after. Um, and... Uh, I'm going to, you know, go into more detail about it in my book about everything that transpired. Uh, it's a, that was a crazy experience uh, because I'd never committed a crime and that was a major crime. Um, you know, uh, I remember how, like, do you remember the first time the cops started asking you about me? In, in my recollection, they never really tracked me down at all. They went through your mom all the time. Um Maybe because that was your address you might have had on your ID or something. I'm not sure. But um, the only time I talked to them is when um, they sent me a picture once. And I go, well, it kind of looks like him. But, it, you know, it's blurry. And I said, but, you know, if you guys say it is and his mom says it is, then it probably is. Yeah. And, uh, of course, it was. And I pled guilty uh to that charge uh, along with many others but before that happened um that was you know there was a time when i relapsed after the taxi because that happened in 2013 i didn't go to jail till 2015 um the end of 2015 uh so you know there's two years where basically i was um living underground kind of paranoid um, convinced that they knew that it was me and then all of a sudden you started calling and asking me about it because they'd asked mom and mom was asking me about it I'm like holy shit but during this time um, I was uh, going through a lot doing different things uh, we touched um, last episode you know different times about gang the gang members being in the, the psych ward and, and, and different things and, and threatening times and there was time how many times did I call and say that uh you know, where I was in distress or whatever. And there was actually times, uh, several times, probably like four times where that legit happened. Um, but I can't tell you how many times I used that excuse after or around. Um, but uh, around 2013, I started to ask you for money pretty much every single day, right? Uh, probably not. I mean, it was so like you were threatening suicide. You were doing, these guys are killing me. This is going to happen. They got a gun to my head, all that kind of stuff. And I was actually at the doctor's office because my stress level was going through the roof. They sent me to Eagle Ridge hospital and I'm in the ER hooked up for a cardiac incident. And you're still texting and phoning, even though I told you that. Yeah, I thought so, I remember that actually. I, I was laying there for four hours on the cardiac protocol, and he didn't stop for a second. They they took the phone away. Yeah, and and then you left out your when your clean time there when you had the housing and all that, and you got to have your kids over there, and like that was pretty good until you pissed people off in Maple Ridge, and they started coming to your 
your place. Yeah. Well, it was, um, I did, you know, yeah, I talked about that and, and I don't talk, I was asked, honestly, I was asked not to talk about my kids and, and I don't know, I if, know. That's, if that's directly from them uh, or, if, or if what, but I'm sure they're at an age where they're, you know, feeling embarrassed or whatever. So that's why I don't talk about, but then I get mad that I don't at myself that I don't talk about. But yeah, um, I was really seeing my kids uh, every pretty much every single day, um, whether it was for an hour, uh, or for several or sometimes overnight. Um, and then when I moved to Pitt Meadows, I got my own place there too. And I did well, I was working demolition, had a good job. Um, but that didn't last long. Um, that's when I started. Go ahead. You had a great job at the refinery. Yeah. Making more money than I was making. Yeah. And, uh, it's, you know, I've had I had plenty of opportunities, but always fighting mental health, always fighting addiction, um, and then you know, immediately from the decision when I made uh, to turn my back on that kid in Swift Current, I'm telling you right now, uh, if anybody sees me with kids or whatever, like I love kids, I love being a dad, um, and uh, I always looked forward to being a dad, and that was sort of something that I always prided myself on. I always hated these guys that did, and then I turned into like one of the the biggest pieces of shit ever. And uh, so I, you know, I've hated myself from that for a long time. And I, even the girl from Swift Current has been like, "Brady, you need to forgive yourself. Like, I forgive you. Like, we're good. Like, don't worry." And um, that's great, but it still doesn't uh, it doesn't make my you know so like self hatred towards any you know easier and i guess that's something that i need to work on but i'm glad it doesn't really matter i can deal with that i'm just glad that they're good um but you know how much money do you figure you gave me in e-transfers do you have any idea i don't even want to know way too much <laughs> well i need to, well honestly there's gonna be a way that that someday i'll be able to pay you back i don't know if i'm gonna win the lottery or what but, well, i hope you do but good things, uh, good things are going to happen. And if I win the lottery, I'd just be to pay you back and then to be able to help people. I'm not even kidding. I'm so simplistic. You don't even know. Like I can, um, you should like, even you ask Taylor's mom, uh, I eat like, I'm eating like food. I don't even want to eat, play. I'm eating the kids leftovers and food on the counter on the day before. She's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> like, it's pretty funny. I'm just, uh, just so like simplistic and, uh, just so easy going. Like, honestly, you got to come out here and, and, uh, check out what's going on out in Muskoka. I think you'd like it where I'm where I'm at. And uh, I think there's some good golf courses too. Yeah, well, I'm sure there is. But I, I I think you're doing good things with this podcast, good things with the puck sport. But I think, you know, you've got a kid on the way and kids there that you're being responsible for and helping. But uh, you're going to have to get a, a, a job job. And I know that sounds, but that's just the dad and me talking. Well, good news. That's a good segue into into something I was going to save till the end. Um, there's uh, going to be a lot of opportunity for coaching, and I've already had you know several people reach out to me that want me to be a part of their programs in the area. So I know I can do that because um, of COVID nineteen. Uh, there's going to be I don't know what people are doing for hockey this year. Uh, but uh, there's only so many ice surfaces and people are going to be starving for ice uh, if things don't take off um, like as normal. And I don't, it doesn't look like they're going to. Um, so uh, what I'm going to do and with Dan Spence, uh, we're going to do we're going to figure out how we can uh, put together a program uh, up here in Muskoka on the natural ice. And 
I've already looked into uh, homemade Zambonis, courtesy of Walter Walter Gretzky's design. Um, but uh, there's different uh, ways of doing it. But um, honestly, uh, I think that I can can make uh, make some money this winter coaching hockey on the lake, and at the same time have fun and uh, give back. Uh, to these kids because that to me I, I know I got to start paying my bills and, and start making money um, and, and doing it that way I think is just going to provide me obviously I, I don't think I can make as good of money doing anything other than coaching hockey wouldn't you agree like what else am I going to do <laughs> I don't know but uh, you were building docks and all kinds of things before so I don't know what or maybe you weren't I don't know so. no no I was uh do all that stuff decks all that stuff but i don't know um you know i i really feel that that things are actually falling into place um and uh i'm i'm just i'm really lucky though that i have taylor and her family support and your support and absolutely like i would don't screw that up no of course not why would i uh there's uh there's just uh yeah, like where I'm at, uh, just like physically, like in Muskoka has saved my life more than you or uh, anybody could possibly know. Um, I'm literally looking out at the lake right now. Um, I'm sure you are too. No, I'm actually sitting in my car looking out at the backfield right now because it was too windy on the dock and might be started. So. <laughs> uh, well, um, I don't know. Uh, quickly before I let you go, there was a time uh, when I was. Uh, well, I want to hear hear your book. You got your book. Well, I'm not going to read you the whole thing. No, I want to hear the opening <laughs> page at the end here in a second. Uh, yeah. But I just want to uh, to talk about was there time like the times when you were actually looking for me when I was homeless? What do you mean? Yeah, there was lots of times because. I was always like, like I told uh, either Ken or Gary in the article, like I was always $5 or five minutes too late to, you know, you're always that much ahead of me. Like if you talk to some of them, uh, like I cannot believe how many people down in Skid Row and, and Wally, which are the two areas you've talked about before, which are just gross. And I just, I don't envy anybody being down there, but, uh, and it's even crazier now that uh, since you were there, so if you can believe that. But wow, really? Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I had some good friends that wanted to to help me, come with me, but I didn't want to put anybody like like my good friend Mike lived in Surrey, and he always wanted to come with me to Wally, and I and Tim always wanted to come, and I just uh, you know it was bad enough for one person not to. And, you know, it was kind of my reason to be there was to find you. They were just coming along for the the ride. But then you'd always, like, I just looked at my phone today. I have 37 different phone numbers for you. Wow. So, um, you know, it, and it changed hourly sometimes. And, uh, yeah, so we, we spent a lot of time there. And then you would text, oh, I'm going to do suicide today today and the next body of flip over is going to be me or you know then i go to work on a day shift and we'd have a a male jumper on the lynn canyon suspension bridge and the suicide and you know until we 
actually, like you said earlier, flipped them over. I thought any time it could have been you because they were always around the, the age of you. And there was the overdose craze. I mean, we had quite a few in North Van, but nowhere near like Vancouver. And, but, you know, I think they had a record month last month down there. And I think it was 175 or something overdose deaths. So wow. it's just, it's just crazy. And I'm glad I don't have to look for you anymore. I mean, I haven't physically seen you in a while. But, uh, yeah, no, it was not a fun place to go because most times he wouldn't talk to me because I thought I was a cop rather than a That happened for the first couple months I was down there, too. They thought you were a cop? Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> they, they wouldn't talk to me for the longest time. Um, they, they're very suspicious, those people down there and in Surrey, right? Because that's how it happens. They have those undercovers. But, um, you know... Uh, I couldn't imagine uh, what it would have been like if if I would actually had to see you. I did see mom um, when I was uh, when I was homeless, um, and uh, that was hard you, enough. But yeah, you forgot been... that I, I we saw each other a few times. We'd meet at McDonald's or something when the police were looking for you, and you thought we were setting you up and. You probably don't remember those times. And then I ran into you in New West at the SkyTrain station on my way home from work one day and I had some leftover pizza and I gave it to you. But it was just by fluke that you just happened to be standing there. But you probably don't remember that. I do remember that, actually. Huh. That must have been like, you know, because I remember, like, you know, being a kid and I think, you know, we'd go to a few Canuck games and stuff, which was awesome, and uh, driving through that area, like... I never thought I would end up down there. Did you ever think that it was possible for me to end up on Hastings of all places? No. And that's what people got to realize. And I know like the Western Hockey League, they, they bring the teams through there when they play in Vancouver if they're here for a couple of days and try to put the fear into everybody. And there's videos, all kinds of videos of it. And it's just, it's just unbelievable down there. So, and you know, you don't wish it on anybody, especially your own kids. So when I was down there though, did you, what was the percentage of, of me getting out of there? Did you think that was it for me? Well, we didn't know where you were. So yeah, we probably, we thought we, you'd end up dead somewhere, somewhere along the line. So when I got arrested, was that a relief? Um, yeah, but you... Like you said, you avoided, you weren't in jail very long. You were always in and out. Well, that's because I would, uh, you know, I didn't have a criminal record and they started to give me bail and promised to appear. But then when that ran dry, because I kept committing offenses, uh, I had to try to use other people's names, which was a huge mistake. And I'm not going to use the name. Uh, I'll share the story in my book and stuff. But I, I lost a, a, a key friendship. Actually, I lost it before that based on something that didn't happen. Uh, however, uh, I went ahead and did this anyways uh, and lost a, a, just a, one of the best friends I could ever imagine. Um, and, uh, you know, just to stay out of jail, just based on the fear of, of being sick and, and being locked up and, and didn't foresee what was going to happen with the situation of him coming across the border and all of that. But, um, you know, I made that decision and that's why I kept getting out of jails because I was using these fake names until finally, um, I, you know, I actually tried to use, uh, my stepbrother's name and that's what got me caught. He's the mayor of Port Coquitlam. So that's probably not going to work, Brady. 
Did you know that? Oh, I know all the names that you've used. Trust me. (laughs) So that was sort of like, I didn't know what else to do, and and they laughed. Um, Obviously, so sorry. You you also, do you realize that one of the guys that arrested you was was a a friend of yours who was a Vancouver cop then? High school friend. Yeah, I don't know if he's a friend, but... I know who he is. Uh, well, he 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 knew who you were, and and all the names you were given weren't going to cut it. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's true. Actually, there's two friends that uh, I use names now that I think about it. There's so much shit that I've done. I, I that's why I have it all written down, and and I look. You know, there'll be a day when I can you know make amends to people directly, and if they accept it, they do, and if they don't, then that's something that I'm you know I have to. Uh, I have to accept, uh, and I'm, you know, very lucky that the people I just have, like, I'm so lucky that, you know, you're even talking to me, mom, um, the rest of the family, um, the ones that I do talk to. And then of course the people that, uh, like my friends and other people, like I'm so, uh, blessed and grateful to have what I have today. Um, and you know, but I will continue for the rest of my life to try to make financial, um, and, uh, emotional amends to those people everywhere. So like anyone listening, like I know, like if people think that I forget who I owe money to, uh, I don't. Um, it's not like the list is super, super long, but it's long enough. Um, and that's something that you had to deal with going through town and, and all the bullshit. So dad, I'm sorry. And I, nobody uh, is owed more money uh, than you. And, uh, you know, I never mind all the money you put out for legit causes like hockey and and everything else. Uh, it just it's supposed to end at eighteen and it only seemed to get worse. Um, but I will tell you that you can delete all of those phone numbers um, and you can keep mine because it'll never change now. I, uh, and like honestly, I just because now it's attached to that business unless I move uh, provinces and change numbers. If I'm in Ontario, my number will be seven zero five two zero five five one two three it's super easy to remember um and it's uh it's on a plan guess what it's not pay as you go and i got a bank account i have id i have a wallet it's in my pocket um it's unbelievable uh there was a time when uh when all of that uh (laughs) there was there was no wallet there was no id um and uh there was real really no hope was there dad no, there wasn't, and I'm glad you're trying to turn things around, and um, I'm not trying to rush this episode or whatever, but I think we're an hour and a half now, and we're two hours late getting started, and we're still scratching the surface, but we got some things out that were good. Yeah, we uh, we sure did. Um, you know, it's uh, it's... Yeah, no, it's been good. I I agree though. Uh, there's there's no way that two hours, three hours, um, or you know, what I mean, even four or five hours uh, would even uh, would even do. <laughs> well, it. when you're you're struggling for guests down the road, give me a call the day before, and I'll uh, I'll come on anytime. Okay, but you got to quickly read the first page before you go. Okay. Well, the, the funny thing is, this was um, August. 2019 which is like a year ago when I had no idea where you were right and I was actually planning to come to Ontario but you were in a different place but nobody uh, knew where you were so this is kind of what I wrote and I can change it now like it it's been two years but it's now three years since I've physically seen my son 
He's been on the run, hiding from the law, dealers, his family, and himself. I put him on a plane to Ontario not long after his release from prison, where I had hoped he could get back on track. He had overdosed once again only days before. This trip to Ontario was after months of trying to locate him from the dangerous streets of downtown Vancouver's east side and the desolate slums of suburban Wally. He'd overdosed several times and been near death on many occasions, not just from the drugs he's addicted to, but from the company he kept. He's told me he wants to die and has attempted suicide on numerous occasions. Ten years earlier, he was attending the Tampa Bay Lightning training camp, playing on a line with Steven Stamkos after a successful junior hockey career. Hockey paved the way for his success and helped ice his way into addiction. He is a son, a father, brother, and uncle. He's lost relationships with most of his family, but I'm hanging in there. He had so many friends. Now I don't even know if he's alive. There is nowhere I can go in our town without something or somebody reminding me of my son. He either owes them money or has ripped them off in some form. He was planning on writing a biography, Hockey to Heroin. I don't know if he ever has or will finish that book. This is our story until he finishes his. He had so much promise but has lived and told so many lies. He is my son, Brady Leopold. Oh, that's awesome. So that's the part. Hold on. Since I wasn't there, I was in jail when you retired, <laughs> and we weren't talking. Yeah. Um, just to let you know, um, you can have a happy retirement uh, knowing that uh, we can write that story and finish it on a positive note. Um, sorry that I put you through all that shit. That was hard for me to listen to, for sure. Um, but, like I said, um, the future is bright. <laughs> It is. Choose to have a good day. <laughs> I always do that. <laughs> okay, we'll talk soon. All right, I love you lots. Yeah, love you. Bye. Bye. Wow. That's episode 51. Hockey to heroin, the road to recovery. I don't know how I'm gonna make up for all the shit that I did to my dad but I know I'm gonna do my fucking best to try
not only to my dad, to my mom, to my kids, to all my family, and all my friends, and to all those people listening and looking up to me, um, I'll continue on this path, doing the right thing, and in my times of struggle, I promise to reach out, I promise to ask for help, I promise to be honest, and uh, I think I'm going to be okay. These last two episodes featuring my dad were therapeutic beyond words. Thank you, Dad, for everything, but especially for this, for coming on, opening up, you know, I know it wasn't easy, I know it wasn't you that made the decisions, but uh, I know people often must have thought that, you know, you did something wrong, and uh, sure, we've all made mistakes, you're no different, but damn, Dad, you did a hell of a job, and, uh, I think that's why I've been able to get out of the situation that I've been in is because I'm just enough like you, dad. I'm just enough like you. So thank you. I love you. Thank you all for listening to Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery, episode number 51. I look forward to doing 51 more and doing whatever else comes my way. And I know I can do it holding my head high with a smile without my teeth. But guess what? I got word from Rob McDougall and the angel investor who I'll name shortly that I'm going to get my teeth soon. What's up? Going to have my smile. Uh, It's going to feel good. It's going to feel good. Um, my dad just texted me. I can see it. says, you okay? Dad, I'm fabulous. Absolutely fantastic. And I hope you are too, Dad. Um, seriously, happy retirement. I know you retired uh, in 2017. But uh, you know what? I'm going to treat you to a game of golf and dinner. Happy retirement. I can't wait to do that. I'm sorry I wasn't there. And uh, I'm sorry that you don't have as much money for your retirement uh, because of my addiction uh, and my choices. I'll do my best uh, to be there for you uh, in any way that I can. Um, And uh, I hope there's one day I can pay back every cent. And I'll do it the right way. And I'm looking forward to that. Once again, guys, thank you so much for listening. I am so grateful to be alive. I'm just so lucky. Uh, If you want to support me directly, you can do so on Patreon. www.patreon.com slash hockey to heroin. I just ordered posters for all my patrons. Uh, If you want a, a signed picture from me. Uh, sign up hockey to heroin uh, on patreon patreon.com slash hockey to heroin 
Uh, I'm going to make it worth your guys' while for your monthly subscriptions. There's different tiers, 5, 10, 20. The reason why I'm on Patreon is because people have opted, wanted to send me money and do things for me. Not for the Pucksport Foundation. They want to do that too. But I mean for me um, personally. Uh, and I feel very awkward taking money I just and gifts. I don't do well with it. Uh, sorry. Um, but Patreon, this allows me to be able to give something back to you as well. Um, I'm going to be able to send off posters and pictures and sign pictures of my guests and stuff. I'm always going to make it better uh, and more interesting and uh, worth your while. So if you want to support me, please do on Patreon. Guys, check out my website, hockeytoheroin.com. Uh, there's, uh, there's a little bit there. Uh, it's always a work in progress. Check out the Puck, Puck Support website, pucksupport.com. That is certainly a work in progress. We're going to continue to work on putting resources and building the team and getting our bios and stuff up there. It's got to get updated a little bit more, guys. Um, and, and be sure to look for the Gratitude Crusade. Follow us on Instagram at Gratitude Crusade at Puck Support. And guys, be grateful. Are you listening to this? Are you watching this right now? How lucky are you? You have so many great things in your life. I know you do. And you have unlimited potential change your perspective you're alive isn't that awesome i was in a position once where i hated my life i wanted to die you heard my dad i changed things you know i had to really change things i had to get uncomfortable i had to hurt i had to physically feel some pain I could certainly emotionally feel some pain and i still do i had to let people in and i had to get honest i had to look at myself and be like wow brady you need to make some changes. And I still do. But at least I'm on that path. And every single day, I try to do the next right thing. And just live in the moment. And, and be like, hey, you know what? Wow. You know? I'm on a couch right now that's really comfortable. I could look at it one of two ways. I could be like, this could be a, this couch sucks. It could be a lazy boy leather couch. Or I could be like, wow. It's really comfortable. This couch is you know, I'm grateful that I have this couch. It's just an example. It's little things, guys. It's about changing your perspective. And I had to do that. And I would encourage you to do the same. I'm going to ask once again can you afford $5? Can you afford $5 right now? Go to the description. There's a uh, description or a link in the description to the GoFundMe page, the Gratitude Crusade. In Matthew Lazinski's uh, honor, uh, Matthew Lazinski, of course, the plaque guys, if you're watching on video, um, all the money is for startup costs, guys. People are reaching out to me every day. I want to be able to help them. The Pucksport Foundation wants to be able to help them. There's other people involved. Ashley Langdon's tirelessly out there working too. Uh, guys, please help us get this off the ground. I ask that everybody listening, if you can afford $5, Please donate $5. And everybody that donates will be featured on the Matthew Lazinski Memorial Wall of Gratitude located in the Matthew Lazinski Memorial Studio up here in Iderson, which will be the interim uh, head office for the Puck Sport Foundation. And of course, my podcast studio for Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery. So if you want to have your name on the studio, uh, that's how to do it. To donate $1 or $100, you'll be on the Matthew Lazinski Memorial Wall of Gratitude and you will have helped build the Puck Support Foundation to help mental health and addiction in the hockey community 
which needs to happen, guys. And if you think you can make a difference or if you want to get involved, the door is wide open. We want you to get involved. Email us, team at pucksupport, T-E-A-M at pucksupport.com. Or if you want to email me directly, you can do so, Brady at pucksupport.com. That's it. That's it for episode 51. Dad, that's two episodes in the book. We'll do it again somewhere down the road. I have some big guests lined up. I just talked to Brad May this morning. It's my hopes that he's going to be my next guest, guys. Mayday! 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 I hope you're all having a great Saturday. Take care of each other. Please, guys, be kind to everybody. Be generous. If you don't want to donate $5 to the Pucksport Foundation, donate to another great cause. I challenge you right now. And if you can't afford the $5, I understand. Not too long ago, I couldn't afford $5 either. But you know what I could do back then? I could press share. Share the Pucksport Foundation. Let people know we're around and encourage people to donate $5. I hate asking for money, but I'm not asking for myself. I'm asking for the hockey community. And like I said, life for you in the hockey community may be good right now, and I hope it always is. But things can change. You heard my dad. It happens like that, guys. We want to be able to step in and be there for guys like myself, guys like Matthew Lazinski, who are no longer here, and Mitch Fadden, and many other men and women who have lost their battle and continue to struggle with things like post-concussion syndrome, mental health illness, and addiction. So guys, please, please, please get involved. That's it, guys. I'm going to go. I'm going to go play with the kids. I'm going to go give my girlfriend a kiss. I'm going to enjoy my Saturday. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray like I do every single day that one day soon I'm reconnected with my kids, Brooklyn and Brody, because that will just complete everything for me. I hope you guys are all having a wonderful day. And if you're not, change your attitude, change your perspective. And remember, have a great day if you so choose. <laughs>